Cool. Thanks. I I love coming to River Tree. I mean, part of it is just my my history with this church. Um, yeah, I guess it was over six years ago that uh, we just part of a small team of people dreaming about starting something that changed lives and. Um, and it's been a huge part of my story. In fact, we wouldn't be planting this church uh, if it wasn't for uh, just what I've seen God do here, and it's just been a big part of my story. And another part, too, is it's, it's just always fun to be at River Tree because you never really know what you're going to get. Um, it, you know, like some churches, like you, you, it's pretty standard, it's pretty predictable, it's pretty static. Um, but last night I was sitting there, and I just started thinking about all the things that have happened in the six years, like when I've been here. Um, this is the only church that I've seen, like, all-out fistfights break out in the middle of church. Um, that wasn't over theology, you know, it was like something else, somebody mouthed off. It's the only church that um, I've actually been cussed out uh, while on stage, uh, which is always exciting, so we'll see what this morning brings, you know. Um, uh, this is the only church, oh, let me think, oh, this is the only church that I've seen a video clip, an eight-minute video clip, uh, where nearly 20 people were killed by Wolverine, um, so that, and that, that was actually my bad, uh, sorry, dad. Um, and actually I didn't even realize it was a mistake until like the first kill when he like pins the guy to the refrigerator and like there's this collective gasp in the theater and everyone's like, (gasps) and, uh, yeah, there's like seven and a half minutes left to go. Um, this is, uh, the only place that I've, the only church I've ever come to multiple times where to get into church, I had to walk past people getting cuffed against the window, um, multiple times. Uh, this is the true story. This is the only church I've ever been a part of uh, where I was leading worship and I had to lead with my eyes closed because there were two girls making out in the front row. True story, yeah. And all I could think about were like sexual puns for the rest of the morning. It made worship very difficult. Uh, I love this church. One of the reasons I love this church is, <laughs> is that it exists for unchurched people. You know, it's a church, it's supposed to be messy. Uh, we want people to be a part of Sunday morning that probably wouldn't feel comfortable in other churches. And with that comes all types of things um, that you can't really predict, you can't really plan for, you know, it just sort of happens. Um, so if you're here, and you got to know that this is, this is not normal. This is not normal church. In normal church, in the normal church world, we have all types of things that we do that um, are not normal. It's kind of like traveling to a foreign country. We have our own, our own customs. We have our own, our own rules. Some of those rules are written and some of those rules are unwritten. Uh, we have a lot of bizarre things that we say and do. We have our own language, uh, Christianese. And so we will actually say things uh, that, you, you, you know, in hearing them, you think you, you understand what they mean, but they actually mean something completely different. So you hear one thing and common sense would lead you to believe that it means one thing, but it means something completely different. So for example, you might be in a church and somebody says, you know, I just want to pour into your life. I just, I just want to pour into you. I feel God leading me to pour into your life. What that doesn't mean, it might lead you to believe, it doesn't mean that they want to buy you a pitcher of beer. <laughs> Try to get your hopes up. It's not what it means. It's completely different. What it actually means is that you're very obviously a mess and that they feel that they are qualified to mentor you. I just want to pour into you. Be, be aware when you hear somebody say, I just want to pour into your life. Right? Or somebody might say, um, like, I, man, I just wish I was still on fire for God. You know, I just, the fire's gone. I wish I was on fire. That actually doesn't mean they wish they were set aflame. Um, that can get you into trouble. That's not what it means. They're talking about excitement. It's about passion. Um, if somebody says that I'm, I'm backsliding, you know, I've just, I've just been backsliding a lot lately. Um, what that typically means is that they've been sinning a whole lot, and they really don't feel that bad about it. You know, I've been backsliding, you know, uh, if, you, if you hear guys specifically, if you hear guys talk about, you know, I'm just, 
I'm just really struggling, man. I, I just, I struggle. I'm really struggling. Uh, what that means is I'm addicted to porn. And I know I don't want to say it, but that's what that means. So if you overhear it, you know, that's what that means. I'm addicted to porn. I'm struggling. Um, if you hear, ever hear somebody say, uh, you know, you just have such a servant's heart, you need to be careful. It sounds like a compliment, but it is not a compliment. Okay, if somebody says, you just have such a servant's heart, what it means is I'm about to ask you to stack a whole lot of freaking chairs. You know? It's true, right? It sounds like a compliment. You've got to beware. So we do this with, like, very, like, simple things. Sometimes they're menial, just kind of bizarre things. But we also do this with serious things, too. So when we talk about prayer, we often do this when we talk about prayer. Uh, so if you ever hear somebody say, you know, I'll pray about it. If you ever hear somebody say, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll pray about that. Usually when somebody says that, something's going on. You're, you're in a conversation. Um, usually you've asked them to financially sacrifice, you know, invest in something. You're talking about tithing. There's some tangible need that needs to be met. And you ask them, hey, would you be willing to give? You know, I'll pray about it. Or, or you're talking about um, getting them involved in ministry team and volunteering in some way. Uh, if somebody says, you know, I'll, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. What that means is not in your freaking life, you know. <laughs> I don't want to tell you no, but I don't want to do it, you know, so I'll pray about it. And when you don't hear from me, just assume that me and God had a conversation. He said, I don't have to do it. I'll pray about it. You know, that's typically what it means. It it sounds like one thing, but it means something completely different. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's bizarre. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. But sometimes in the serious stuff, I mean, if I'm really honest, this last one kind of bothers me. And, And here's why is... Is, is prayer is supposed to be, you know, this thing that, that, that's the most intimate conversation in the context of the most intimate relationship. Um, but we, in our language, in our Christianese, we, we've equated it to mean doing absolutely nothing. So we take this thing that's supposed to be a very vibrant, dynamic part of our faith, something that we're, we're practicing, something that's a big part of our relationship with God, but we've, we've, we've used it in such a way to be synonymous with inactivity, with doing absolutely nothing. So for also, like if we're talking to somebody and, and uh, you know, when somebody says, I'll pray for you, every once in a while, that person means that. You know, that every once in a while, that person is, is a prayer warrior and it means that they're going to go to the Father on behalf of you. They're going to pray. They're going to cry out to God for whatever it is that you need, whatever's going on in your life. But if we're really honest, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, if we're really honest, oftentimes... What it can mean for us is it means if I remember, I might shoot up a prayer to the big guy, but there's a good chance I probably won't, you know. But I feel what you're saying, so, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you. I just don't know what else to do. I'll, I'll pray. But oftentimes we don't. You know, when we say I'll pray about it, it comes to mean inactivity. And uh, it bothers me. It bothers me. And I wonder if we don't do this, um, sometimes perhaps because for, for most of us, prayers actually become very little more uh, than a nice gesture. It's, it's a good intention, but it's not something we, we really do. It's not something that, that shapes us, that forms us, that we experience. But have you ever noticed that every once in a while you meet somebody, you come across somebody who for them, prayer is a force. Like have you ever known somebody that when they pray, things happen. When they pray, God moves. Uh, things move, things change. It just seems like God just keeps saying yes and yes and yes. So like whatever they're throwing up, you know? Well, for most of us, uh, it either seems that God says no most of the time or he's not even listening. And so what I want to submit to you this morning, what I want to submit to you this morning is that that's not a coincidence. That it's not that God loves some people more than he loves others. Uh, There's not that, you know, God's blessing just happens to be on this person and not on you. 
that there is a way to pray that is effective and that there's a way to pray that is ineffective. That there is a way to pray. Uh, there are prayers that amount to nothing. Um, and there are prayers that literally are part of changing the world. That there are, there are prayers that, that vanish like a thin fog. And then there are prayers that impact eternity. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And, and here's, here's the idea. Here's the big idea. Here's, here's what I want to submit to you this morning. That, that both how we pray and what we pray for largely affects both how God responds to us and what he chooses to do or not do in and through our lives. All right, I'll say it again just in case you missed it. Both how we pray and what we pray for largely affects how God responds to us and what he chooses to do or not do through our life. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about what does it mean to pray in such a way that it's effective, that God hears it, that God responds and can move in us and through us in an extraordinary way. So to start this conversation, I want to go to uh, Luke chapter 18. And uh, if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, Luke chapter 18, um, we're looking at Jesus. Uh, I'm partial to Jesus. I'm a big fan of Jesus uh, for a lot of different reasons. And one of the things that I love about Jesus is, is he, he never ceases to surprise us. Um, sometimes he teaches in such a way that's very indiscreet. Um, sometimes he preaches in such a way where he kind of works his way um, from this, this different angle that we didn't see coming. Sometimes he, he, he's very poetic in the way that he teaches, and sometimes he just slaps us upside the head with very hard truth. And what we find here is that Jesus is really getting frustrated with self-righteous people. You ever get frustrated with self-righteous people? I do, right? Church people, religious people, very devout people, and Jesus is getting frustrated. And so in verse 9, here's what it says. It says that to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So immediately, Jesus presents us with a very controversial idea. Jesus paints this picture of two very different people, and God responds to their prayers in very different ways. One guy is, just, is this messed up, deceitful thief. Uh, some of you know that tax collectors, they were deceitful, they were manipulators, they made their money by oppressing the vulnerable. They got ahead by tearing other people down. And Jesus points to him in the way that he's coming before God and he says, this is received by God. This man is justified. And then against him, he juxtaposes this very different person, this, this devoutly religious person, right, who's involved in all the right things, he says all the right things, he seems to be the guy that everybody looks to. And Jesus says, no, the way that he's praying is not received. It's rejected. I don't hear it. He's not justified. And so Jesus immediately confronts us with this idea. And it's this, that prayer in and of itself does not bring us any closer to God. A prayer in and of itself does not bring us any closer to God. It does not necessarily make us more spiritual. It does not necessarily grow us in our faith. 
And it doesn't necessarily accomplish anything helpful in our relationship with God when it's done in the wrong way. How we pray matters to God. There's an effective way to pray and there's an ineffective way to pray. There's a way to pray that is, that is authentic and that is open before God, where God is the focus. And then there's everything else. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of, of film and, and of television. And, and maybe it's just the pastor in me, but I really love uh, television and film that makes fun of Christianity. Um, I don't know why. It's just like this sick thing. Um, maybe because there's always like an ounce of truth in it. So like South Park, you know, uh, The Simpsons, um, all this great religious material where like people are put into these very awkward situations and they don't really know what to do. I love them. So like this, this last week we were watching um, on Netflix, uh, Meet the Parents was on there. And I forgot how funny that movie is and how uncomfortable it makes me. Ben Stiller does, like, awkward better than anyone else, I swear. And so, like, if you remember in the story, Ben Stiller is, like, trying so hard to impress his father-in-law. His father-in-law was the CIA interrogator, uh, profiler, and he, he's trying so hard to impress him that he ends up totally re- misrepresenting himself, and, and he ends up lying about his past and, and uh, lying about his present, doing all these things. And it kind of culminates in what I think is the funniest scene in the movie. And they're around the dinner table, and Robert De Niro turns to him and he says... Uh, Greg, you want to say grace? And, uh, you know, his, his girlfriend's like, no, 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 Greg's Jewish. She doesn't need to do that, you know. And uh, he said, well, Jews pray, right? Go for it. You know, he's like, he's like, hey, you know, I'm not a rabbi, you know. Like, sure, I can totally do this. I've said grace at many a banquet table. And, and then he, like, he starts in this very awkward prayer. I, I love this prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers. It's so awkward. And the mo- you can feel the tension in the room, right, when it's going on. And he, he, so they, they bow their heads, and he says this. He says, he says, oh, dear God, thank you. You, you are such a, a good God. You are thoughtful, kind, gentle, and accommodating, God. <laughs> and we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the uh, smorgasbord you have so aptly laid at our table this day and each day by day, day by day by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray to see thee more clearly, to hear thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day. By day, amen, right? (laughs) Quoting God's spell, it's awesome. Uh, It's just the most awkward thing in the world. And I started thinking through, you know, like, just if obviously he's so, like, focused on trying to impress his father-in-law that he's just making a fool of himself. And the father-in-law is a focus. And I started thinking through, like, other great prayers in film and in television. And so we have any, like, uh, Will Ferrell fans in here? Talladega Nights? You know what I'm talking about? Ricky Bobby? At the dinner table, one of the funniest prayers in my mind, like, in all of film history. And uh, Ricky Bobby, the Dear Lord Baby Jesus prayer, right? So, Ricky Bobby says, uh, Dear Lord Baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family. My two beautiful, beautiful striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or as we call him, TR. 
And of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox. And dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. It smells terrible and the dogs are always bothering with it. Dear tiny infant golden fleece diaper Jesus, you know, and he goes into this whole thing and like, you know, his wife is like, you know, Jesus grew up. It's kind of weird that you're praying to a baby. He had a beard. He went through puberty, you know, and he's like, look, I'm saying grace and I like the Christmas baby Jesus best. And when you say grace, you can pray to teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whatever, you know. She says, well, you know what I want? I want you to say this grace good so that God will let us win this race tomorrow, right? So there's this prayer, like they bring this, this agenda to the prayer, and they're praying, trying to get God's blessing. Any Simpsons fans in the house? Shorting, I know you are. Watched many a Simpson with him. Uh, great Simpsons prayers. Uh, Ned Flanders, of course, the most popular evangelical man ever in the history of America is uh, Home of the Simpsons. He's got a bunch of great prayers, but Homer and Bart, uh, I think, are the best because they're the least religious and they're always hilarious. So, so like, you know, Bart, classic prayer, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Let's eat, right? Um, Homer, one of my favorite <laughs> prayers by Homer is he's at the end of the, his rope and, and he prays, I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, Superman, please help me. You know, or Bart. And this is perhaps the most telling prayer. And it just communicates what all these prayers kind of do in the most, like, blatant way. Bart, at the, at the beginning of season two, uh, early in The Simpson, what would be this legacy of uh, kind of Christian commentary, uh, Bart prays this prayer. He's asked to say grace. He responds by folding his hands, closing his eyes, and he says, Dear God, we paid for all this stuff, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> I love it. You know, so for us, like, obviously our prayers, they're probably not as entertaining as some of these prayers. Uh, but at times, I think they can be just as self-centered, right? And, and what Jesus is saying through this parable is he's presenting us with this, this truth that is actually very possible, if not common, for us to pray in such a way that it has very little to do with God and everything to do with us. There is a way to pray in which we are so consumed with ourselves, with what we want, with what we want God to do for us, uh, what we're asking for, the way that we want him to move, things that he, we want him to give us that actually has very little to do with who God is and, and what he wants to do in us and through us. Um, the Pharisee, he gives us this picture of this very religious person, which honestly scares me because I've known a lot of people like this and I think I've been this guy And he talks about this Pharisee who's grown so accustomed to religious activity, right? He's doing all the right things. He's going to church on Sunday. He's in a small group. He's praying. He's got a servant's heart. He's stacking chairs. Like, he's doing all the right things, but it's become this this ritual for him. And he tells us that it it shows us that it's it's actually possible for us to compartmentalize our life so much that we can actually spend a lot of time in prayer and doing religious activity and yet God is not a part of any of it. It tells us that his prayer life um, probably existed of a lot of talking and very little listening. Prayer had become a part of his public life, and yet God was not a part of his private life. His character went untouched. So Jesus, to us, points to us, to this tax collector, this messed up guy, the swindler, this crook, and he says, this is how you pray. 
And you see, the difference was, is, is they're both, both messed up, right? They both need Jesus desperately. They both are just a mess without God. The difference, however, is that the tax collector knows it. And he acknowledges it. And he comes before God in total surrender, in total repentance. It tells us that uh, this guy came before God just completely open. There was no compartmentalizing. There was no, you know what, God, you can move here, but you can't move here. He was just open before God, and God says, that's the prayer. And so he presents us with this very scandalous truth, and it's this. It's that the honest prayer of the worst sinner is more acceptable to God than the self-righteous prayer of the most religiously devout. It's a controversial idea. And it comes to this very key truth about prayers, that prayer, powerful prayer, prayer that moves, prayer that changes, prayer that changes the world, always starts with complete humility and complete surrender before God. You see, I think for many of us, one of the reasons that we struggle to have a dynamic prayer life and one of the reasons that we struggle and just feel like so spiritually stuck all the time is that, like the Pharisee, we come to God with our requests and and our agenda, and at the same time, we refuse God access to the things that we don't want to give up. You see, I think if most of us were honest, we would admit that, that we want God to be intimately involved in our lives. We just really want him to stay out of our business. Right? We want God to, to move in the areas of our life that we want him to. We just want him to stay out of the other stuff. We repeatedly ask him to say yes to our requests, sometimes while continually telling him no with our lives. And so we come to God and we say, God, I really want to talk to you about this promotion. And God says, I really want to talk to you about your character. And we come to God and we say, God, I really want to talk to you about my career. And he says, I really want you to deal with this bitterness. You know, it gets so frustrating. It's like, God, no, no, this is the area of my life that I want you to work. This is the area of my life where I need your help and your power. And he says, no, you have no idea what I would want to do through you, what I could do in and through you if you would allow me to do the work in you that I need to do in you so that I can do through you what I want to do through you. And it forces us to consider a very scary possibility that perhaps one of the reasons that God continually says, no to us. One of the reasons he doesn't say yes to our request is perhaps because we are continually telling him no with our lives. You know, perhaps one of the reasons that God seems so distant is that if we're really honest, we have yet to really draw near because we're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid of what he might see and what he might want to do in us. Perhaps one of the reasons that God seems so silent at times is because we're not really letting him speak. Perhaps for you, as you look at your prayer life, perhaps your, your, your prayer life consists primarily of, of asking him for what you want and telling him what you think you need rather than asking him what he wants and what he knows you need. You see, how we pray matters. How we pray matters. It affects the way that God responds to us. Are we praying from a place of complete vulnerability like the tax collector, openness before God? God, you know what? Meet me in this place, God. I, all of me is you. I, every, nothing is off limits, God. Meet me here. You know, or do, we, do we come to God fessing up to our junk, no matter how messed up it is, no matter how ugly, allowing God to begin his work in our deepest insecurities, in the darkest corners of our soul, in our most selfish and shameful desires? Or like the Pharisee, do we come before God and we acknowledge him with our lips, 
but our hearts are far from him. At the, uh, my, my dad mentioned that you know we were in L.A. for two years, and, and we were doing this, um, this, this leadership development program, and, and Irwin and Mosaic was a huge part of my uh, coming to Christ and specifically uh, just having a passion for the church. Uh, I was pretty, I'd given up on the church, and so it was cool to be able to go there of all places. Mosaic's um, arguably one of the most influential churches uh, in the world, and, and Irwin's certainly a very influential voice in Christianity. And so all of us came into this program, and right, we've got huge dreams, what God's going to do in us and through us. There's going to be so many opportunities. We're living in Los Angeles. We're at Mosaic. Like, you know, we're going to be a great leader. Irwin's going to just pour his life into us and all these things. We have people come from Florida. Uh, we have people come, obviously, from the West Coast, people from Canada, people from Scotland, people from Korea, Lincoln, Nebraska. And so we're there, and we're, we're in this room, and one of the first conversations we had with Erwin, we're all there, and there's all this anticipation and all this excitement for all that God's going to do uh, you know, through us. And Erwin says this, and I will never forget it. He said, my goal is not to make you all great leaders. Because some of you do not have the character to sustain that kind of influence. And you would be crushed under that mantle of power. In other words, God has not done a work in some of you for him to do the kind of work that you're dreaming about him doing through you. And it's the same thing that Jesus is, is talking about here. That there are some prayers that God simply won't answer. Some prayers that he can't answer until he does in us what he needs to do in us. So we're the type of people that he can do through us what he wants to do through us. How you pray matters. And secondly, what you pray for matters. Together, these two things, how you pray and what you pray for, greatly affects how God responds to you and what he chooses to do or not do in and through your life. You see, as Jesus shows us, is that the most powerful prayers, transformational prayers, always start in complete authenticity, complete vulnerability and openness before God. And when you do that, something begins to happen. That is where transformation begins to happen. And what happens is your desires begin to change. What you pray for begins to change. You want to do something that's going to mess you up. I'm warning you, it will mess you up. But I dare you to do this. I dare you to start praying and asking God to make his desires your desires. I dare you to walk through your city, whether that be Lincoln or Seward or wherever you find yourself. Walk through this city and ask God to see the people around you as he sees them. Ask him to break your heart for what he breaks for. It will, it will mess you up. And it will start to change everything. Ezekiel, one of my favorite passages uh, that speaks to what God desires to do in us and through us is Ezekiel 36, 26. And it says this. It says, And I will give you a new heart with new and right desires. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony heart of sin and I will give you a new obedient heart. You see, when we allow God to realign our desires with his it's amazing how often the yes begins to come. It's amazing how often God starts to answer his prayers when we start to ask him for what he desires rather than for we, what we desire. In, in uh, the, the 1800s, there was an evangelist and humanitarian by the name of George Mueller. Phenomenal man. God did some incredible things through his life. Just a few here. In his lifetime, he, he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his life. He was, he was well known for providing education uh, to the children under his care to the point that the religious often accused him of raising the poor above their natural status. 
he also established 117 schools which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children, many of them being orphans. And at the age of 70, and this is in the 1800s, mind you, at the age of 70, he and his wife embarked on an evangelistic missionary journey, many of them, across over 40 countries. This guy's 70. This is in the 1800s, right? Medical care was in a very different place. Life expectancy, completely different place. And he embarks, and God just starts moving. God starts saying yes. Starts changing lives. Impacts, eternity, incredible stuff. In his lifetime, he, he actually traveled, logged over 200,000 miles. That was pre-aviation. He wasn't flying anywhere. Phenomenal man. And George Mueller said this. He said, in my life, out of all the prayers that I've prayed, out of all the things I've asked God for, God has never said no. He, he has always said yes. And what I want to submit to you is that it's not because God loves George Mueller more than he loves any person in this room, you or I or anyone. But he came before God in total openness and vulnerability. And he began asking God for what he wanted. See, his, his, for what God wanted. See, his prayers were not, hey, God, I just ask that you uh, give me a bigger house, you know, so I can host more people in, right? It's, it's all about you. Um, you know, God, help me to get this promotion. God, help me to, uh, help me to get this, this, this raise. God, help me to get a great uh, grade on my, my final next week. God, help me to lose the 10 pounds that I put on last year. It was a rough year. God, help me to, to find a job that I like more than this one. You know, God, bring me, give me, help me, provide me with. His prayers were very different, right? They probably sounded more like, God, please help me not die, to die at sea tonight so I can spread the gospel in Asia Minor tomorrow. God, help me to empower more urban poor who are steeped in hopelessness and leaving their children to fend for themselves. God, help me to provide for these kids and educate them more in a Christ-centered environment. God, as I speak about you, give me the courage. God, speak through my words so that people come to know the grace that is in you, the salvation that is in you. He asked God for what God desired and what God did. It was incredible. And my point is not that God doesn't care about the details of our lives because he does. But there's a big difference between self-centered prayer and Christ-centered prayer. There's a big difference between asking God for what we want and there's a very big difference between that and asking God for what he wants. The one thing, God might say yes. You know, you ask God for what you want, and sometimes he says yes, because he's a good, merciful God, right? In uh, Matthew 7, it says that God does this because he loves his children. He loves to give good gifts to his children. You ask God for what you want, from time to time he might say yes. But you start asking God for what he wants, and it's amazing how the yes begins to come again and again, and again. And this is what I want you to get. And this might, this might be one of the most important things you ever learn about prayer. In addition to becoming, coming to God in total authenticity and vulnerability, allowing him to do in you what he desires to do in you. This. If you ask God for what he wants, and you are willing to be a part of answering that prayer in whatever way God desires, God will say yes almost every single time. You ask God for what he wants and you put your life on the altar for him to take you where he will take you to do in you and through you what he desires to do. And it is a done deal. I was thinking about like just the most, you know, the best way for me to illustrate this out of my life. And the most obvious and, and recent example that I could think of is just the process of, of planting this church. 
you know, people who are kind of looking into the story right now and maybe looking at what's happening, it seems like, you know, maybe that this is a pretty recent journey and that we're just getting going. But that's, that's not how it is at all. In fact, the, the call on our life to, to begin preparing for this and moving in this direction started years ago, started a few years ago. And when it began, when God started moving us, we started, what happened is I started praying a dangerous prayer, is what happened. I started asking God to break my heart for what breaks his, to start caring about what he cares about, to start caring for people the way he cares for people. And what happened is God started doing exactly that. And we started to sense God moving us towards church planning. But at that time, I was, uh, I was actually a college dropout and just serving in various ministries. And so God needed to do a work in me. And, and at that time, I was working uh, overnights at the People City Mission, and uh, I went back to school. And so, you know, from 8 p.m. to 8, 8 a.m. every night, um, I'd be writing papers and studying. And when I wasn't working with people, I was just like, you know, killing it on a coffee and five-hour energy drinks and just hammering out papers. And then the next, the next move for us was to go to, to L.A. And, and to be a part of the Protégé program and to learn about leadership and to become, in many ways, a leader worth following. And being in L.A., I can tell you, it was a crazy, exhausting time. You know, when God answers these prayers, it's not like that. It's a process. And so as God was doing this in us, there was part of this program is, uh, you know, I was wrapping up my undergrad. Uh, I had started a full-time seminary program at Bethel Seminary, and then I was auditing classes through my program at Fuller Seminary and Golden Gate Seminary. So there was a period of time when I was at four schools at the same time. So I remember there was like a four-week period where I had like 15 all-nighters in a row, you know, where I'm just like consuming this stuff. And can I tell you something? I loved it because God was beginning to align his desires, my desires with his desires. It was amazing. And when we were there, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, my wife and our two kids and another married couple. So in one bedroom, it was my wife and Chloe and Paige. And so there was Chloe's crib, and then there was our bed, and then there was Paige's mattress on the floor. And that's how we lived for two years. And then in the next room over was another married couple. And it was awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, like it was hard. I never, if I would have known I was signing up for that, there is no way I'm signing up for that. But God was moving us to a place where he could do in us what he needed to do in us so he could do through us what he wanted to do through us. You know, when, the, when we started to sense that Lincoln was the place uh, that God was calling us, I was in the process actually of interviewing with the Los Angeles Fire Department. I had this great plan about how I was going to make good money, fighting fires, living in L.A., and then planting churches on the side. But God had something different in mind. I continued to pray, God, break my heart for what you breaks your heart. Help me to see what you see. Help me to see these people how you see them. I'll go where you want, do what you want. And he started to stir in us about the city of Lincoln and about the people here that don't know Christ. And all I can tell you is that this journey has been difficult at times. It's been exhausting at times. But God keeps saying yes. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. We showed up in April. We showed up in April, and there was just a handful of people we had, had any kind of conversation with about Mosaic. And, and so we just started meeting with people and sharing them, you know, with them what God had placed on our heart, this vision for a new church that, that cared about people who needed Jesus. And it was amazing how things began to grow. We had our first meeting, and I think there was about 10, maybe 12 people there. And over the last several months, you know, we've seen just God, like, orchestrating all these journeys and bringing just, just the right people at just the right time. And that team is now, you know, 40-plus. We needed to raise some funds. We're planning through an organization called ARC, so we needed to raise $30,000 to, 
so that ARC would then match us $30,000. So we had this idea, and uh, we decided we were going to make a website and that we were going to do these videos uh, telling the stories of people who are part of this church and sharing about the mission and vision. Uh, and our idea was that people would actually go to this website and watch the videos and give money. You know, I was like, I remember talking about it in the basement with our team. I was like, uh, it seems like a good idea. You know, we'll, just, we'll try it. And, and what ended up happening is like the video started spreading and God started moving and speaking through these, these videos into the lives of people. And people started finding us. And the next thing we knew, that website had like 12,000 hits, you know, in 30 days. And on the night of day 29 the last of $30,000 in 30 days came in. It's amazing. Right after that, we got a check for $30,000, anonymous check for $30,000 from some guy who doesn't want me to know who he is. I don't know how you, you know, I don't know how you explain that. You know, we, right after that, we had a guitar that was, I got this big box in the mail, pull out this beautiful Alvarez, just gorgeous, gorgeous guitar, you know, like custom-made guitar. And uh, I get this message from this poor church planner who has 12 kids and lives in Montana, and he says, he says, God wouldn't leave me alone about this. He told me I'm supposed to give it to you, so I'm sick of holding on to it. Take it, you know. God's going to do something, you know. And so we've since, like, we traded that in and, and uh, got an electric guitar set up for the guy who's going to be leading us in worship. He didn't have one. You know, I, I think about the churches that have come alongside us in a, in a city that, you know, maybe I would argue has a history of kind of territorialism between churches. It's been amazing, you know. Like, obviously, River Tree has been a big part of it. They donated uh, the sound, they're an old sound system to us. Brian came alongside us, gave us a bunch of road rack stuff, and um, gave us uh, our main speakers. Uh, Southview Baptist came alongside us, just out of the blue. No relationship there previously, but they got a hold of what we were doing and believed in it and started investing. An evangelical free church in Sydney, I mean, like, it just keeps coming, and I just don't know how to explain it, except for that we keep asking God for what he wants. We're not asking for a big church. We're not asking to be the coolest church in town. We, there's a lot we don't have figured out. We just know that God has called us to spread the gospel. We just know that God cares deeply about people who don't know him. And we know the city is full of people who desperately need Jesus and that there are some places where the church isn't going and so we want to go there and we just keep asking God to do that and he keeps saying, yes. It is amazing how when we ask God for what he wants, how the yes begins to come. You see, oftentimes God moves in spite of us. Worship team, you can come up. I'm going to shut up. You see, oftentimes God moves in spite of us. He does. The message of the gospel is that while we were all sinners and messed up and broken and couldn't help ourselves for nothing, that God stepped into that story, fixed what was broken, and offered us life in Jesus Christ. God often moves in spite of us, but there are times when God just waits. There are times when God waits, is waiting to accomplish something extraordinary. There are times when, when God is waiting to ignite a fresh movement of his spirit. There are times when God is simply waiting to transform lives through the gospel, waiting to provide for the tangible needs of those who want it most, waiting for someone to step up and say, God, I'm yours. Do in me whatever you need to do in me. Nothing is off limits. Take me wherever you want me to go to do whatever you want me to do. And I'm telling you, that is a dangerous, dangerous prayer. You pray that prayer, and I guarantee you, God will say yes every single time. But you need to know something. It will cost you everything. It will force you to give up the things that you have, you've been holding on to. It will force you to let go of some of the things that you've insisted on controlling. 
it will open up the door for you to be a part of changing lives forever and impacting eternity, but it will cost you everything. But if you ask me, there's no other way to live. And there's no other way to pray. And my prayer for this church and for you is that God would continue to raise up men and women who want nothing more than to go where God wants, to do what God desires, that you would open yourself up for what God wants to do in and through you, and then step back and watch. Let's pray. Father God, I pray on behalf of myself and on behalf of this church, Father. God, we come before you just completely open. We admit before you that oftentimes we do not do a good job of letting go. That there are times when there are areas in our life that we hold back from you where we do not. We are afraid to let you in. We are afraid to relinquish control. But God, we ask that you help us with our unbelief. God, my prayer is that you would raise up men and women and give them the courage. Men and women in this room, that you give them the courage to come before you completely honest, completely open, and that you would do what you've promised to do, that you would take what is broken and what is messed up, and if we will let you, that you will use that to create something beautiful, something moves, something that changes, somebody, something that impacts eternity, God. That is our prayer. God, raise up a generation who cries out to you, who wants nothing more than for you to do what you want to do in and through them so that you can do what you've been waiting to do in our city, in our world. This is our prayer. And we bring it before you as we come to you in worship. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.